Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Go Out and Talk to Strangers. I'm Adi, the Nomad Architect, and this is the place where I'm sharing with you ideas and inspiration, hosting founders, entrepreneurs, and extremely talented people to share their experience with us. And today we have again Guy. Hi Guy. Hello. Good to see you again. Good to be back. It's really great to have you on the show again. <laughs> It's been a while. You're, you're one of my favorite like interviewers ever. Like every time I'm just like talking to you, I just want to keep on talking. Unfortunately, I think this podcast has also like a limit, but <laughs> let's see. Uh... <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate that. Well, coming from you, I think you're giving interviews every like Monday and Tuesday. I don't know. It's like <laughs> you're everywhere. So um, let me introduce you again, because some things have sure. changed since our, our previous season. Uh, so Guy is now the director of Colib, which is an international association of co-living. He's writing the book, The Art of Co-living, and he's the founder of Co-living Diaries and Co-living Insights, which are two online amazing magazines you should be following if you're interested in the co-living world. He's a fellow nomad and a DJ, and he hosts amazing virtual parties when people are under lockdown and now he's here with us again yes yes uh, a lot has changed like especially like for example those those virtual parties i mean that's that, that's been something new and also there's been a lot of like virtual stuff going on especially also with like co-living like we, we've been hosting a lot of like meetups and stuff and but that's also because like the entire situation has changed yeah so much has changed we just met in february in rio yeah And uh, like the whole Corona situation seems so far away. Yeah. And yeah, both of us had to change our plans. Yeah. Like, you know, for me, for example, I mean, I don't know if you want to dig into that, but like for me, it's uh, I, I used to be a nomad, right? For three and a half years. My last apartment that I had was in Paris four years ago. And now I'm realizing, well, first of all, I can't travel. And even if I can, I have less reasons to. So events are not existing this year. Uh, there's no major event I have to go to anymore. There's, you know, there's only like, you now like the people that I want to see are restricting some key areas. So it's, uh, it's making me a slow mad and even Ooh. potentially sedentary-ish. Wow, that's a big change. Yeah. Yeah, but like we had to, again, I think, let go of all of our plans for 2020 and just see... Um, what's going to happen because the the amount of uncertainty is something that we never experienced before and it affects all of our lives all of our businesses um the only thing that we know is that we have to be flexible and to kind of like adapt to the change and in a way it's exciting mm. i must say yeah i'm really curious Compared to, for example, last time where we digged a lot into co-living and, and when you interviewed me, I was like very at the beginning of my co-living journey. That was literally, I think the first or second, no, it was the second podcast I did at that time. Like nobody really knew me in the scene. And now it's like one year, one year and a half almost later. One year and a half. That's yeah. crazy. So what's uh what's going on what should we tackle well i really liked your the article you published on your linkedin page i thought that it's 
was very interesting to see. It was the name was Thoughts on Co-living Post-Corona, which I, I find very relevant. So we can dig into the bit and see what are the changes that we experience in the co-living world and what do you think going to happen next in terms of communities, uh, sharing spaces. Yeah. So general, but yet, yeah. Cool. It's a very general question. At the same time, it's, it's very hard to be more specific, right? Um, yeah. Here's the thing. So, for example, in the last couple of months, uh, we've been hosting with, with CoLive, the, the global CoLiving associations, a lot of, like, virtual meetups. And that's been really interesting because, like, especially there were, like, certain meetups where people were very vulnerable. And one of the fundamental questions I had is, what is the future of CoLiving? And especially, how is the current situation going to influence us? Uh, for example, I was scared that uh, at the beginning I was scared a lot of co-living operators, especially smaller ones, will close. Um, I was also scared that uh, new developers will be afraid of this whole COVID situation. So instead of really creating shared spaces, we're going to see just the rise of micro units, which is, you know, with maybe a shared rooftop. But that's that's not really what the essence of co-living is. Mm-hmm. And now I, after going through this entire period listening to operators, investors, etc. I'm seeing that uh, first co-living as a residential um, as a residential offering is here to stay. And in fact has compared compared to like hotels uh, or other branches or like even offices has been impacted very little. Mm. Um, for most spaces, there are some spaces that had up to like 60% or 70% of residents maybe got laid off and couldn't pay, but the majority maybe suffered a 10% loss. And then the other thing is this whole COVID situation has isolated a lot of people, which then made us time to think. And a lot of people realized that number one, they're lonely. And number two, maybe their priorities in life have been changing, including seeking now more quality time with friends mm-hmm. um, and seeking now maybe like a, a better lifestyle. For me, for example, what it also showed me is like, now that I can't go anywhere, the question is like, where am I going? What do I do? <laughs> exactly. And so what I'm seeing is more and more private individuals like me, for example, who just want to create a space and to live in community with others. So, for example, myself, I'm going 1st of July, I'm going to open a co-living space in Mallorca entitled Sunshine Embassy. Um, wow. But point is, it's going to really be a space for me and my friends and just like friends of friends. Like the, the idea is not to, um, the, the intention of doing this is not to grow, it's not to scale, it's just to create a home. I just want to create a home. I didn't have a home for, for four years. And even before, it wasn't really my home. Like it didn't feel like this 20 square meter apartment was, was really where I wanted to live long term. And... So I think that co-living is actually going to rise uh, and we're going to see much more like smaller co-living spaces, even not even branded co-living, but just people moving in together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see the same, I must say. I, um, I'm a part of a group that is looking to buy a land in Portugal and live together on the base of like shared, um, just like, like a cooperative, right? Like almost like a non-profit co-living, although when it, you know, when you involve real estate, it always could be for profit. Um, but then, yeah, it's it's it was really interesting to see the way that in on in one hand, people were like feeling very lonely and isolated. You know, being quarantined and just like if you live by yourself, it's almost like you're at risk of losing your sanity, right? Because you're yeah. alone. 
But at the same time, people that share the space with other people were afraid of them because they didn't know how, uh, how much they follow the rules, how much they're, I don't know, wiping the groceries from the supermarket and things like this. And I found that to be very painful. Uh, if we're talking about like a few months back, um, shared economy was like the next big thing. Uh, you don't want to own anything anymore. You just want to like share things out of like big databases. And then people being afraid of each, of each other was really painful to watch. But I think um, yeah. it just shows like there are two, like it depends what your priorities are. If you want to be more on the safe side, you'll probably live by yourself. But if you think that mental health is as important as physical health, then you're probably going to surround yourself with people and take the small risk of exposing yourself to more let's say, chances of, I don't know, viruses and stuff. What what we've been seeing is, especially in coloring spaces that actually already had communities, and when I say community, that means people that trust each other. Mm -hmm. Then you saw how people actually uh, remain together, prefer living together, and found very creative ways to to limit the risk. Yeah, so for example, uh, looking at Brazil, this is one coloring space uh, called Oka Co-Living. And um, they are like around 10 to 15 people sharing apartments. So what they, for example, did is like there would always be like one person who goes to groceries, another one that goes through the cooking. Um, and so they, they, they split up those tasks so that they don't have to be like 10 people like all sat in the kitchen at the same time. They still benefited from the fact that they were living in a community. And yeah, it's when you see like other cooling space in France, like my name is Bernard, like you see those guys and, and you just realize, okay, they're way better off there than if they would be by themselves. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And like another thing that was really interesting on your article was the you said something about rural co-living. You gave a a number about like, I don't know, what was it? 24% of Paris residents left uh, for rural areas. Yes, and and I think that's tied also to the the other thing, um, which is like individuals wanting to live together. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in the last couple of months, companies had to go remote. Um, And uh, as I said, like, for example, in Paris, 24% of Paris residents left Paris during the the COVID situation, which is uh, is an an incredible amount, which also means that it's the fortunate ones that have a secondary residence somewhere else. Let's not forget that. Yeah. And so combining those two, for example, concrete example, my friend Kelsey runs an architecture studio in Kohlewing. And she, um, you know, has an apartment in Paris, now moved to the countryside for the last two months. And everybody now works remote. And like, now the question is, why would I come back to Paris? Mm. Or let's turn it around. The question now is, where should I go? Because now you're free. Um, and... And so we're going to, my, my assumption is, especially also people who didn't have the chance to leave, um, they will want to leave, you know, they will want to leave their apartment, they will want to reconnect most probably with nature. And so it's probably going to give birth to more rural co-living spaces, mm-hmm. uh, concrete example, the one I'm going to create in Mallorca, but also the ones that had existed so far were usually landing pads. Uh, meaning people would usually come for like, you know, one to four weeks. And I think that we're going to see more people really living long term. Mm-hmm. How long do you think? Mm-hmm. Let's say a few months, 
a year, eleven months, a year, mm. or maybe like having a base. For example, myself, you know, having a base like in a rural quality space, but still going to conferences from there, potentially going to Paris, etc. If you can, um, but having yes, having more long-term rural co-living spaces and, and the trend of co-living plus rural, mm-hmm. I think it's gonna make a lot of. Um, lot of sense and the question that behind that then is you're gonna see a lot of initiatives popping up um for example like coalitions of different like rural co-living spaces that that exchange their residents or they create partnerships um there's probably a lot of people who want them to create like platforms for like rural co-living booking and all of these things are going to happen so i think there's going to be more and more infrastructure around that and also, I can say from my end, I can see more and more people looking to use natural materials, non-toxic materials, uh, use more of natural ventilation systems rather than the mechanical ones. Um, and then just like when you live closer to nature, in a way, you're safer. I'm currently in Israel and you see a lot of people are living the city, yeah, like Tel Aviv, which is very surprising. Um once you have the opportunity to work remotely, then you can really choose what your values are. And one of them, like what the strongest one I can see is being close to nature, but not by yourself, being a part of a community, uh, living a more sustainable lifestyle. Um, I don't know, learn how to grow your food, which was more of a hippie thing up until now, but now it seems very essential. And when everyone is talking about the second wave, can I want to imagine yourself, okay, if I have to be locked down in my apartment yeah. again for a month or two, where do I want to do it? And and with who? Totally. Yes, and how people want to like connect more like to nature, and but not only to nature, but also like to other people. Mm-hmm. To one another. Yes. When I see connection, I, I see three main pillars. Uh, and there's connection with self, there's connection with others, and then there's connection with your environment. And... I, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, co-living leads or should lead to those three types of connections. Um, a lot of people focus on the fact that co-living is for connection with others, which is true. At the same time, when living with others, you have way more opportunities to confront yourself and to grow, which can lead you to connect yourself more with yourself. <laughs> And then the mm-hmm. third part is, yes, if you're able to include the environment like element, and it doesn't have to mean nature. You can be connected to your environment in urban areas. You can be connected to your local neighbors. You, um, you can be like uh, connected to your local stores, to the local communities, to, to associations, right? So you don't have to do a solo game even in, in, in urban environments. And trying really to, mm-hmm. to focus on those three pillars of connection of selves with others and with, with the community. I think is what what people should go through. Mm-hmm. Also, just FYI, yeah. I just need to to note that like these this, these three connection pillars, it's been uh, designed by uh, the folks from Conscious Co Living. They have like a beautiful manifesto on uh, on like mm-hmm. what what is the uh, what are the different like pillars of connections for like co living spaces. So just just know maybe we can add it in the footnotes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's really important. Thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, you traveled the world between different coloring spaces. Um, you learned quite a lot and I'm really looking forward to read your book and see your like, insights and just the overview of everything. Um, what would you advise somebody who is looking to start uh, something now? Sure. I mean, who specifically are you referring to? Because coloring can mean so much. It can be like, 
if it's a real estate developer that wants to build like a 400 people building, that's completely different than if it's my sister asking, hey, how can I get a house and invite my friends? Okay, so let's address both. Let's say we're a big uh, real estate developer and we want to start a co-living, but oh no, uh, we had a global unusual situation and now we're re- rethinking. I know you do a lot of consulting, so yes. let's say I'm your client now. Great. So real estate developers at this point, um, you know, I mean, first... And a lot have been like a bit scared about the situation, but like right now the, the situation is pretty, uh, is pretty stable and there's a lot, of, there's still a lot of interest. All of the projects that have been going on so far, they're still going on. So from a security level, um, it, co-living makes a lot of sense and it's also being like institutionally backed, you know, Deutsche Bank investing into, into the collective, et cetera. Now, the fundamental question that I would ask myself is that there's very little innovation in real estate. And what a lot of real estate developers are doing is that they're copying the senior housing or mostly the student housing model yeah. and kind of optimizing it a bit, maybe making it a bit larger for like private spaces. But there's very little innovation in terms of architecture and space. And whatever we're going to build today, all of those new co-living spaces, and they're going to pop up in the next like 35 years, you're going to see dozens of them like anywhere mm-hmm. in the States, in Europe, in Asia. The question is how can we build things differently? Because those buildings are going to last and serve the next 100, 200 years of humans. How can we build buildings that are adapted to the current needs of of, of ourselves and of our future children? Mm. And so the real innovation that I'd love to see in developments is how can we make our future developments more connected and more adaptable? And also there's, there's other pillars like sustainable. Yeah. Um, but in terms really of design and architecture, I've seen very little innovation on that. And so, for example, concrete case study, uh, right now I'm working with one of France's major developers and uh, what we've been successfully implementing is the notion of cluster sizes. That instead of having like one, because it's going to be buildings for between 50 and 200 uh, residents or 300 even. How can you create community within that? It's, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. But you can create micro communities. So having, for example, on each floor clusters, meaning um, like around like eight to 12 apartments that share a common living room so that you create micro communities within new ones. And that right now for residential doesn't exist. The only thing that's been invented for residential is, you know, shared gyms and shared rooftops. Yeah. Um, but really these intimate spaces like salon, like works, workspace, like library um, are, are still not being shared. It's so interesting you're talking about it. You're not an architect and yet you're talking architecture. 100%. Yeah. I, I, I love it. And, I, and like, for example, in my upcoming book, like there's literally a whole chapter on like principles of design and architecture, mm. uh, including, you know, um, yeah, think, for example, thinking in terms of cluster sizes. Um, or, for example, thinking in terms of adaptability. Now, here's another thing. Uh, resi- like, whatever we own or that we've rent at this point, our housing is not adaptable. Meaning that if, if I have an apartment that it's, you know, with like 70 square meter because I have a wife and two children, and, um, but then the children move out, I'm not going to use those 70 square meters. Yeah. What am I going to do with the rooms? Mm-hmm. So, you know, innovation in housing where, for example, apartments can then be converted, where you can have a second entrance, where you can maybe like half the apartment and rent it out for 10 years until like your kids move back in or until like you actually need like a caregiver that moves back in with you. So like really there has been so little innovation 
And I can't wait for animation to come in. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope you're going to kick ass on this too. Oh, yeah. Because if we just keep on copy-pasting what we've did so far, it's not adapted to like what we desire. It's impossible. I, I can tell you from my perspective, one of the reasons I left traditional architecture was the fact that everything is just duplicated. There is very little innovation. And when profit is the highest value, I just don't believe in it. Profit is important, but making livable spaces create the right containers for people to thrive in them, to amplify their well-being, to really give them a sense of wellness where they live. This is what we should be focused on. And then it will be also profitable. And yeah, I love the fact that you're talking about flexibility. You know, we talk about in modern architecture that we only plan for this generation or the next generation. But actually, when you look at indigenous um, perspective, you plan seven generations ahead. You look so far into the future when you do anything and you, you think about the impact you might have on future generations. This is how we should be thinking. Yes. Yes. I mean, the number one thing that I would ask myself is what's the vision behind a project? Mm -hmm. Because um, a lot of... The, it can... The, the way you're going to build a space is has to be intentional. Yeah. And so you got to be clear already for yourself, why are you doing this? Are you doing this because you want to live there? Are you doing this because you want to enable other people to live there and very specific people? Um, is this, you know, a long-term project? Is this more, you know, are you doing it more for the business side? So f first of all, understanding what the vision is. And then the next step will then be, uh, you know, there's always the, the question around the chicken and the egg problem. Do you get first get the space or do you first get the people? Uh, I've seen that usually first getting the people or validating it, kind mm -hmm. of like the lean startup approach makes a lot more sense. And it's not difficult, you know, it's just making a simple post on Facebook or hitting up 10 friends and saying, which would be down to come and live together for the next couple of months or for the next year. And if you have like four or five people who say yes, then you can find a space and rent it out, have them already like pay you beforehand so that you have cash flows and then you take it. And potentially for the organization, then you, you can lift it for free because you, you know, could be cool also that you, that you get compensated for, for the work that you're doing. So that's a very simple model. And then like it can get into much more technicalities such as, all right, how to make sure that we don't have tragedy of the commons and that the sink is clean, right? So they said, let's think about certain house rules or certain community guidelines. Um, how do you mm -hmm. deal with, you know, things like depression or how do you, uh, how do you engage people and make them responsible? How do you give them a space like to talk? You know, so a lot of co-living spaces, for example, host, um, not a lot, but some co-living spaces host mm -hmm. community assemblies every two months or every two weeks or every month, right? Where people can come and share what their problems or struggles is or how, how they would love to get involved in the space. And then this is another whole question around, do you want to create your spaces for yourself or also for the environment, right? Are you going to use maybe the space to, to host uh, events? Yeah, yeah. I find it very important to have this kind of like an open-end policy when it's not a closed community, because then after a while, I think it's less interesting, especially if you used to live nomadic lifestyle and your um, openness to experience, let's say it's very, you have a very high level of the desire to experience new things. So then when you live with the same group of people, after a while, it could be a bit, yeah. I wouldn't say boring, but fixed. But then when you host events with your community, or let's say you have yeah. a few rooms that are uh, open for short-term stay, 
and you can have like different people coming in, having like different workshops, um, I don't know, hosting artists. And it's like an endless um, opportunity to invite new mindsets, new people, and just keep keep everything fresh. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And then the other thing that you can also do is like rotations, right? So for example, um, you could have half the space that's for long-term residents that come in for like 12 months and then the other half that's for like mm -hmm. you know, two weeks plus. And so you can have like rotations within the community or um, other example, the way I'm, for example, going to do it now is we're selling like, uh, we're telling people, giving people like packages of like one to three months where they can come for the entire year. So you, you take three months and you can come one month in July, maybe one month in September mm -hmm. or whenever you want to, right? And, but here the model is to find a core community of 30 people who are the ones that for 80% of the time are in the house. So those core 30 people are also then going to like, are going to be the ones that mostly see each other when at the house and like hosting things such as, for example, every six months, like a big gathering, like kind of, a, we're going to do a little festival, like a, a little burning man in, in the garden. <laughs> and, Yay. but, but hosting, like, you know, like making sure also that this community can come back together. Because at the end, you also want, yeah, you want people to care about each other and to have the opportunity to connect, mm -hmm. even if they're not maybe living right now in the space. So how do you deal with, let's say, demand? Everyone wants to come in the spring and the winter is not as attractive as the rest of the year. Yeah, well, um, it's a very good question. So a lot of like operators are struggling with that question, uh, especially when they're in cold zones, right? Uh, so Mallorca specifically, like uh, on the 2nd of January yeah. like, this year, like I was in the ocean. So I'm not, I'm not too worried about this. <laughs> I think a lot of people will come there. But now... <laughs> Yeah, so let's say like I would, I would we'll create something in Stockholm, right? How do we do it as to fill it up during the winter? Mm -hmm. Well, then here again, you know, if you if your intention is to create a long term community and let's say if the people stay for for a minimum of a year, which which some coloring spaces do, you solve that problem. The problem you have is more when you have when you offer short term mm -hmm. accommodation, right? Or like weekly, months, or just like months by months. Um, and for those spaces. I don't think there's like a magical solution. You know, if it's cold in your country and people don't want to come, then it's really hard to attract people. Uh, you can play with more for, like affordability. You can play with maybe with more intentional communities or like, like the profiles that are there. Uh, for example, mm -hmm. I'd be incentivized to live with like 10 badass people that I admire and respect and honor and love. Um, even if it's a bit colder compared to living somewhere where I don't, you know, reconnect really with anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So these are things that you can play with. I agree. And you know what? And I'm going to take some of the question back because, you know, I've been uh, chasing the summer for, I don't know, yeah. two years before I realized I really need seasons. Mm. Sometimes you need winter to be more indoor, not only, well, now we had enough of winter time, but let's say before the corona situation, uh, being in the summer all the time always invites you to go out and do things. And, and like sometimes you just really need to be stay in and reflect and renew your energy, charge your batteries before you go out again to like new adventures. Yeah. So, yeah, the concept of seasonality is really mind blowing. <laughs> well, and again, I think you had to experience what it is not to have it to appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And one thing also, I was very, you know, when, um, when we were in Brazil, mm -hmm. um, I was living with, with uh, my friend Chase and like five other people for this week. We were seven people, actually. 
and one girl, Megan, came up to me and she never lived in a shared living space. Actually, she did, but the experience that she had wasn't great. It was like one of those student years where you just like put together with somebody and like, yeah, you might be friends, but then like you're not going to see each other anymore. Um, and it wasn't very transformational. And here, when what she experienced, she said, like, now that I once lived it, I see how living by myself is is not as gratifying or not as uh, not giving me as many opportunities for my personal well-being and professional growth, etc. But I think that you have to experience first what it is to live in such a community to then know and compare it to your other life. And I, one of the key challenges of co-living spaces is that when I, as a future potential resident who has never lived with that brand or with that space, and I go on a website and I see the words community, I have no idea if that's true. Mm. Yeah. And so the, the main challenge, I think, is how can you be in integrity with your brand and with what you promise and how can you show that? Well, not only if you do. Yeah. Uh, for example, I'm I'm astonished by how few co-living spaces in their marketing actually talk about the residents that live there. There's almost zero. Meaning you see the space, but you never see who are the people. So do you want to come for the space or do for the people? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? There's another uh, fear about living in community, let's say for introverts. Yes. Where you have to have your alone time. And from a design perspective, you always have to make sure you have choice. You have the quiet living room and then you have the more uh, social living room and just create all those different scales of shared spaces where one yes. can really find the right place for him and her. And I'll add two things to that. First is you can be, you can feel disconnected in community the same way you can feel isolate, the same way you can feel like uh, by yourself yeah. within a community. So. Um, an example of a, a shared space, right, is for example, if you have, let's say, a silent library where the intention is not to interact and you can just be yourself and you can feel like you're just by yourself, but you're actually surrounded mm -hmm. by others. So you, you can have intimacy within community the same way you can have zero connection within community. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the other thing, like from an architectural point of view, I think ideal case scenario is also to give the possibility to people to be able to go to community or not and have the privacy. Um, I... I call those the, the surveillance zone, or so, uh, which is like zones that are kind of like the hybrid where, for example, imagine you have a corridor that gives where you can see the living room, but that first leads to your bedroom. That would allow you to like decide whether you want to go through the community or not. So mm -hmm. kind of finding, finding the balance between showcasing what is happening within the house from an architectural like, like perspective. And at the same time, like allowing people to have like user experiences where maybe if they don't want to interact at all with the community, they don't have to. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. Okay, well, we have to design together your next project, I guess. I think we have to. Yeah, and, I uh, think we have uh, very similar thoughts on mm -hmm. it. I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Yeah, beautiful. Okay, so I think we pretty much covered everything I wanted to ask you. Um any additional thoughts before we move to the final question? Uh, the only additional thought is, uh, you know, I, I, I still think that co-living is its beginning and that co-living right now has an opportunity to define itself. So whoever wants to contribute to that, like, just please reach out and make it happen. Yeah, I love it. Okay, that's beautiful. And uh, of course, I'm going to share the links to 
all of your websites and all of your amazing projects that you that you're taking part of. Um, so you know already my the questions that I ask all my guests, but I'm curious to see what you're going to answer now. So this question called the wild napkin. So you're going to a bar or let's say um, you're drinking at your place if you're under a lockdown. No, I'm joking. And um, you're going to a bar and you have a couple of drinks and your mind is very, very free. Okay. And all of a sudden you have the craziest idea. And obviously you don't have your notebook with you. So you take a napkin and you write it down. What does it say? So there is no uh, money or time limit. It could be anything. What would it be? Right now, what comes up would be to take a whole week off and run from here to Germany, around like a thousand kilometers in a week. Hmm. That could be interesting. A running adventure. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's calling. <laughs> it's calling. Wow. <laughs> I think I've been probably stuck inside for too long, but yes. <laughs> okay. That'd be it. That'd be it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. I like it. Very freeing. Because yeah. honestly, most of the ideas that I'm having, like, I mean, I have a ton of ideas, but then, like, the, the really core ones, you know, then I usually start working on them. <laughs> but the, the health <laughs> part is something where I had a lot of ideas, but I haven't implemented too much. <laughs> so, so that definitely be one. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Wow, beautiful. Okay. Well, thank you for being on the show again. And I'm thank you so much, looking Annie. forward for maybe the third season. Let's see. Um. Yes. <laughs> Let's let's do this third season again, like in a year, year and a half. Probably gonna be a completely right? different space, um, or the same state of mind. Or and the being. same. Maybe you'll still be in Mallorca. Yes, or we'll do it together this time. Ooh, mm. yeah. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you for coming. Yes. Have a beautiful, beautiful day, and until the next time, go out and talk to strangers. Mm-hmm.